Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You yeah, hoping to erase this whole narrative about not winning a playoff game. Oh, for sure. You know, that's... Uh... It's when to go home right now, you know. I want to win regardless. I don't really care about what people got to say, you know. Um, I've only been in the playoffs twice, you know. My young career, you know, other people been in the league forever. I haven't been in the playoffs at all, but it is what it is, you know. But definitely trying to erase that narrative right there. That's the number one right now in my mind. Lamar Jackson talking about the reality that he's 0-2 in the postseason and with each passing loss, the narrative grows and grows. The distraction becomes larger and larger. Just ask the Bengals from 2011 through 2015. But, Peter, I would have suggested a different answer to Lamar Jackson when asked the question about the playoff narrative. I would say it's already been debunked. It's been win or go home for the last five weeks. We've played five playoff games this year. We've we've been up against it, and we've won every single one of those games. If we lose it, we're done. So... This isn't really the playoffs to us. This is just a continuation of what we've been doing for the last month. Yeah, plus, you know, I think, Mike, look, everybody is going to want to see Lamar Jackson play well in the playoffs. I think it would have been a different story against the Chargers two years ago or against the Titans last year. It would have been a different story if Lamar Jackson had played well in either one of those games, and he really didn't. You know, if you play great and lose in some duel, you know, you lost. That's that's just the way it goes. But he hasn't played well in those games. And so I look at I look at things like, you know, Peyton Manning, was he 27 years old when he won his first playoff game? There's some some number like that. But I don't I I'm not going to say that if Lamar Jackson hasn't won a playoff game by the time he's 26 years old well he's no good or his legacy has been written it hasn't his career isn't even one third over for crying out loud and so look he's got to play and he's got to play well there's no doubt about it and you're right he's played great down the stretch of this season when he couldn't have known it five weeks ago but you're right you know one loss and it's very likely they wouldn't be playing right now so that is what, if, if I'm a Ravens fan, that's what I'm focusing on. My quarterback got us here. And the, the challenge is, and the reality, I believe, is that with each loss in the playoffs, and then you have 12 months until you get another opportunity, the narrative gets a little bit larger and a little bit larger, and it gets harder. The pressure is greater to finally get that first win. And the sooner you get it, the better. The sooner you get it, you kill that narrative and you can focus on winning your next playoff game a week later. And for the Ravens and for Lamar Jackson, I think that's the key, especially for Lamar Jackson, because I think the pressure on him, not just to win, but to to have a better game than what we've seen in his two playoff losses will be critical. 
And you throw in the fact, Peter, that they're on the road. They're facing the Titans, a team that beat the Ravens in Baltimore in overtime. It was a great game, 30-24, to with a touchdown run by Derrick Henry to ice it. It puts even extra pressure on the Ravens to settle this score. And they are going to be looking at those helmets and thinking, these are the guys last year that knocked us out of the postseason. And I, I hate using the term revenge because all the Titans did was their job a year ago. But if you can use that to your advantage, if you can, and this is the challenge for John Harbaugh, more so than Lamar Jackson. How do you properly communicate to your guys this week? How do you get them in the right mindset? Are they already there and you don't really need to do anything? What do you do to get them ready to go to Tennessee as favorites? They can't even go in with a chip on their shoulder because they're favorites. How do you get them in the right place where they can go out and take care of business? That's going to be a challenge for John Harbaugh. I, I think I think the most interesting line in this game or in, in the, on this weekend is the Ravens being favored at Tennessee. Look, you take away the, the Tennessee at Green Bay game over the last, what, six weeks? I mean, <laughs> the Ravens or the Titans have looked like the 27 Yankees for crying out loud. They've been unstoppable. And, you know, if anything, compared to a year ago, Mike, look, Derrick Henry is is incredible. You know, he's already had more 200-yard games in his career than Jim Brown or Barry Sanders had in their careers. Wow. And he's only 27 years old. So, and, 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 but the thing I look about, look at with Tennessee is look at Ryan Tannehill. Look at how much better I think anyway he is than he was a year ago. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine Tennessee playing at home, being an underdog to too many teams, but that's a weird line to me. The defense, I think, is the problem with Tennessee. And look at what the Ravens did last year, or last week, excuse me, in Cincinnati, 404 rushing yards, and they have been grinding it up all year long. I mean, so much for uh, high-flying pass offenses. you got the Titans, who have Derrick Henry with his 2,027 yards. You've got the Ravens with the three-headed monster of Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins, and Gus Edwards. Mark Ingram isn't even a factor anymore. Those three guys contributed to that performance last week, significantly contributed to it with 404 yards. This could just be ground and pound for three hours. It could be a two-hour and 15-minute game. Yeah. I think both teams want to play that way, Mike, and we'll see what happens. But the one thing about this game that really fascinates me is that I think both teams can play both ways. You want to get in a scoring contest? Ryan Tannehill, uh, you know, has got a great, I think, a great receiver, you know, in Brown. He's got a very good tight end in Jonu Smith. You know, and on the other side, you could see the Ravens playing the exact same way. They're very happy with running the ball 55 times. If you let them do it, they're going to do it. But they're also okay if they need to get into a throwing contest because they're confident as the season is worn on, they're more confident in their passing game. So that's why I think this is really, I think it's the game of the weekend. I think it's so much fun, so interesting. Now, you know, in terms of drama, probably the Cleveland and Pittsburgh's the game of the weekend because of how weird the lead up to the game is. But just as far as a football game goes, I mean, I love that Tennessee-Baltimore game. One big difference between this game and their meeting in the regular season, Week 11 in Baltimore, Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams available for the Baltimore Ravens. They weren't there the last time around when Derrick Henry had not not a high-end Derrick Henry day, but it was good enough to get it done, and he popped that run in overtime to pull off the victory. Last year, though, in that playoff game in primetime in Baltimore, 193 rushing yards for Derrick Henry. So Henry, obviously the key piece of the puzzle to the Tennessee offense. And he has to be able to answer what the Ravens collectively do running the ball. And it really is strange to think about so much running in an age where it's so much passing. But as Chris Sims said earlier this week, it's cyclical, although he struggled with cyclical and we had some fun with that. But it is cyclical, and teams are starting to recognize that as defenses spread out to deal with passing offenses, and also we don't see as much tackling as we used to in practice. There aren't padded practices. The art of tackling is lost in many NFL locker rooms. There's a, there's a temptation 
and there's a benefit and there's a reward to running the football. Look, in my, in my opinion, just I think there are so many teams in the NFL this year. I've, I almost think even though the numbers are not gigantic, I think there are so many dangerous running backs in football right now. And, and I don't just mean Derrick Henry. I mean a bunch of different style running backs. You know, you've got the combination of of power with an outside move of like Nick Chubb uh, and, you know, and Kareem Hunt. You've got the power game uh, of, of Derrick Henry. You've got the elusiveness of Alvin Kamara. You've got the sort of bang it, but also be able to get outside of Dalvin Cook. There are so many interesting running backs and so many different styles right now that people are getting. And, and Mike, you're getting these guys with value picks. I didn't say the words Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey. Those are, and I certainly didn't say Leonard Fournette, <laughs> but you know, those are the top 10 running backs that you just don't see that you need to do anymore. You know, Alvin Kamara way down in the second round, Derrick Henry, second round. So many of these picks you're noticing, just like receivers, you can find really good ones in the second round, even, you know, DK Metcalf late in the second round. The, the thing about running backs, because there are so many good running backs out there and because durability is so critical, when you use that top 10 pick on a guy who gets injured, it's more glaring. Lost season for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Saquon Barkley, two lost seasons now for the most part in three NFL years. So when you reduce the investment, you reduce the pressure, you reduce the urgency to get more out of this guy, you can just kind of let it happen. We used a second-round pick, a third-round pick. We used no pick like James Robinson in Jacksonville. You just, you, you just, you just let it happen, and, uh, and it happens. And even though defenses have gotten to a point where they can't deal with a running game like maybe they used to, the running backs, hey, for them, the mission is what it always was. Get the ball, use your vision, Use your speed, use your strength, use your agility, and just run to daylight. That never changes, no matter how much or little football teams practice. You know, the other thing is, Mike, you know, look at look at Antonio Gibson in Washington. Here's a guy who, for the most part, was a wide receiver in college. I think the scouting of uh, of running backs and wide receivers is really kind of morphed into a more mature process in the last few years. Antonio Gibson, you had to see him as a projection. There's a chance Washington is not in the playoffs right now without Antonio Gibson. And he has become maybe not a bell cow, 285 carries a year guy, but he has become a number one running back on a playoff team, a flawed playoff team, but on a playoff team in the NFL. And that, to me, says so much about what NFL teams are doing right now. They're inventing new rules for skill players on their offense. I remember when Washington let Adrian Peterson go just before the start of the season. We were like, what in the hell are they doing? Well, it was Antonio Gibson. That's why they did it. Now, we've talked Ravens-Titans. That's the first game on Sunday. The first game on Saturday is the first home playoff game for the Buffalo Bills since December of 1996. They will welcome 6,700 fans into Bills Stadium to watch their old AFC East rivals, the Colts, come to town. Let's hear from the two quarterbacks in this game, Josh Allen and Phillip Rivers from earlier in the week. I think the main lesson was not to press, understand the situation that we were in. Um, obviously, if I can go back and change things, I would. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that they went down the way that they went down. I was able to learn a lot from that and hopefully uh, carry that you know, playoff experience into, uh, into Saturday's game. I don't carry that with me day-to-day uh, -day that, you know, man, played 16 years, never never been a, you know, part of a championship. I, I, I don't – I really don't. Um, we strive for it, strive for it every year and striving for it like crazy this year, but it's not something that I feel heavy uh, uh, or something something I'm carrying around with me. Shoot, it's a new, new, uh, new, new beginning every day and excited for each challenge and opportunity. 
And Josh Allen was talking about his struggles in the playoff game last year. He was great early, but just right on that edge of out of control, the weird flip over his head as the game was falling apart, maybe just a manifestation of the frustration he was feeling because he didn't have the weapons that that would match his skills. Well, now his skills have improved. The weapons have improved. And I think that's going to be a real challenge, Peter, for Josh Allen. And I think he's up to it. But he, he needs to make us forget all about the guy that we saw in those bad moments against the Texans last year when they blew the 16-point lead and lost in overtime. He needs to make us absolutely never think about that, and he shouldn't think about it too much. He just needs to go out and play the way he's been playing. Yeah, I, you know, to me, Mike, that's a little bit in the rearview mirror because we've seen such a different quarterback this year. And, you know, he's become a quarterback who is extremely confident both in and out of the pocket. My biggest question about this game for Buffalo, honestly, is if Cole Beasley plays. I mean, Cole Beasley is the slot receiver on my All-Pro team this year. This year, the Associated Press asked voters uh, to vote for three wide receivers. They didn't put any limit. They didn't put any restrictions on how you vote for him. And look, I mean, I probably would have voted uh, as my third receiver for somebody like Tyreek Hill, but I like to put my votes for, uh, you know, for players as if I was going to play a game. And so I want a slot receiver on my team. And Cole Beasley led all NFL slot receivers in yardage this year, and he was the most effective, efficient receiver in that ping pong ball type area of the slot this year. If he's not there, he's become a real security blanket, um, you know, for Josh Allen. If he's not there or if he's limited or restricted in any way, I think that's a big boost for Indianapolis. He did practice yesterday, which is good news for the Buffalo Bills. He was week to week with that knee injury, suffered in week 16. Stephon Diggs questionable as well. He missed practice Wednesday, was back Thursday. He's got an oblique injury, but obviously that's a huge issue for Josh Allen. And I agree with you. It's like he's a different guy than he was a year ago. But this is his first time back to single elimination football since a year ago. And part of the challenge, just like with Lamar Jackson, you got to find a way to forget about what happened last year. Learn the lessons that you can from last year. Incorporate them into your game, but ultimately forget about last year and focus on forging a new legacy. And, you know, for Phillip Rivers, he falls into that category of guys for whom it could be it. We talked earlier about what could happen with the Colts, especially if they lose and will they want him back. The networks are starting to eyeball Phillip Rivers, and I think he would be awesome in the booth, and he could make plenty of money in the booth and not be in harm's way, and he could do that for 25 years if he wants to. So a lot of questions about where these two quarterbacks are moving in their career trajectories, but Josh Allen's moving into the top three, frankly, right now. For the Colts, Peter... Do you have in mind any sort of a strategy, a recipe, a formula for pulling off what would be, I think for most people, a pretty significant upset, although I think these two teams may be closer than the point spread would suggest? Yeah, 30 years ago, Mike, in the what was the absolute, total, unequivocal nightmare scenario game in the great Buffalo Bills run, Everybody will remember the Scott Norwood uh, wide right kick by eight inches or whatever it was that cost him that game. But what I really remember about that game is the fact that the New York Giants went into it saying we are going to limit the number of possessions that, uh, that our opponent is going to get in this Super Bowl. You know, remember coming into that game, the Giants got five field goals to uh, beat the 49ers, capitalized on a late fumble. Uh, that might have been the best 49ers team of all time, and the Giants beat them that year in, in what the 49ers still bemoan as a lost opportunity. Um, and, and obviously, the, the, the Bills beat Oakland 51 to nothing or whatever it was. And Parcells' whole philosophy in that game was, you got to shorten the game. You got to play clock ball. And if I were the Indianapolis Colts, I were Frank Reich this week, I would be telling my offense, I'd be telling uh, 
everybody in that offensive room. You know, just do things to make the clock keep running. Don't go out of bounds. Just let make the clock keep running. We only want to give Buffalo eight or nine possessions. That is the crucial thing. And Indianapolis's running game has been so powerful recently that I think they've got a chance to be able to do this. And I think if you look up at the end of the game and you see Colts with 43 rushes, you know, I, I think obviously this has got to be a huge day for Jonathan Taylor. If you look up and see them with 43 rushes at the end of the game, or you look at the Colts and or you look at the Bills and say they only had the ball eight times, then I'm going to say, you know, Indianapolis just might have won this game. The 253 rushing yards from Jonathan Taylor last week were amazing. The rookies are supposed to hit a wall. He was used extensively at Wisconsin, but he is going strong. And part of that, too, Peter, I think comes down to the awareness of Phillip Rivers. He needs to milk the play clock down to zero or close to it as often as he possibly can when the clock is running. And that's something Sims and I talked about yesterday. And this is one of Sims' favorite phrases. We used to use it for Patrick Mahomes, but we can now use it for Josh Allen. You want him standing on the sideline drinking Gatorade. You don't want him in the game. And then when he gets in the game, maybe he presses a little bit. Maybe he's a little frustrated. Maybe that frustration manifests itself because he's not out there on the field as much as he'd like to be. Here we are with fans for the first time this season, and I can't get on the football field to do what I'd like to do. And, you know, the thing about playoff football, if you're the favorite and it doesn't start well and you can't get it going, you quickly feel in the pit of your stomach it's all slipping away. That's what makes what the Chiefs did last year so much more impressive when they were down 24 because it was over. It was done. See you later. Great season, Chiefs, but but reset to zero and zero, and we'll see you next year. To find your way out of that hole when you know your season is closing in around you and it's over, and to do it against the Titans in the AFC Championship, to do it against the 49ers in the Super Bowl, that's truly remarkable. But uh, you know, if the Colts can just catch them flat-footed early, and, and, and do exactly what you've suggested, and, and Sims and I went through basically the same formula yesterday. Run the ball, milk the clock, keep Josh Allen on the sidelines. If the Colts can make it a game, if the Colts can hold a lead into the second half, and if the Bills can just start thinking, well, it's you, you know where, where can they find that Patrick Mahomes will and determination and ability to transcend that feeling of it's all falling apart? You know, the other kind of interesting thing about this game, Mike, that I don't know how much you guys have talked about it, but Frank Reich returning to the scene of his prime, you know, you know, returning to the place that had the greatest comeback and, you know, really numerically a bigger comeback than Tom Brady did. But, you know, one of the greatest comebacks in sports history. And, you know, I'll never forget being at that game that night or that day, and waiting, waiting, waiting for Frank Reich at the end of the day. And finally, he was the last guy left in the locker room. He had taken his shower, and there was nobody left in the locker room. And I'm waiting until he's ready to talk to me. And Reich turns to uh, the equipment manager, and he says, hey, if everybody's gone, can you let Linda in? I, I mean, I've been you know, kept her waiting for so long. And his wife, Linda, comes into the locker room at the time, you know, 30 years ago, and Frank Reich, and they they uh, kind of semi-jog to each other like it's one of those commercials. And he lifted her up in the air, and I said, oh, my God, you know, I wish I had a camera to record this. It was, it was fantastic. But Frank Reich was there that day, and Frank Reich was also on the field in Tampa the day that the Giants you know, had that game against Buffalo. And I mean, he's got so many fond memories of everything that happened in Buffalo. He loves Buffalo. And I think the one thing about this game, it has nothing to do with institutional knowledge because they're different teams. But I think Frank Reich really does appreciate that there's not going to be 70,000 fans there, making it extraordinarily difficult for the visiting team to win. It's amazing to think he's such a great part of the Bills past his opportunity to try to 
stick a knife into their into their present uh, does add some some flavor to this one. And that's the one that gets it started tomorrow at one o'clock Eastern, right out of the gates, Colts Bills. We're going to take a break. When we return, we'll look at the coaching vacancies and which way we think the wind is currently blowing as inevitably those jobs will be filled. We'll be back with more PFT Live. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Time for the Verizon Speed Round, brought to you by Verizon 5G. All right, Peter, let's get into it, and we're talking now about Excuse me. We're talking now about coaching vacancies. Who do you think is the first team to hire a coach? And who do you think the first coach hired will be? Um, I think the first team to hire a coach uh, is, is probably going to be the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, as for who they're going to hire, I don't have a great feel. I think that my biggest feel, I think, there's going to be a bit of a race. I, if, if the Atlanta Falcons hire, let's say, Terry Fontenot of the Saints as their GM, and I know they like Terry Fontenot, but if they hire him, I mean, my gut feeling is he's going to cast a wide net for the people that he knows and the, that the Falcons know. And in my opinion, I think one of the guys they're going to be very interested in is Arthur Smith. Uh, because I think Arthur Smith has become a favorite and not just because he really knows offense. I think people look at his history and look at his connection to Joe Gibbs when he was on that Washington staff, learning from Gibbs and Bugle and all the old classic Washington coaches. Just my absolute gut feeling, especially if they settle on, let's say, Terry Fontenot. The, the Arthur Smith angle is fascinating to me because the last thing he needs to worry about is making huge money. For a lot of these guys, it's the culmination <laughs> of a career in football, right? And, and a lot of these guys come from nothing. They have an obsession. They work at it, and they work at it, and they work at it. I mean, I'm here in coal mining country. We've, we've given rise to Nick Saban, Rich Rodriguez, Jimbo Fisher. This is your way out. And you, and you climb to the top of the mountain. Financially, Arthur Smith, born on the top of the mountain. His dad founded FedEx. Yeah. So he can wait. He can be selective. He doesn't need to say, I've reached my pot of gold. He already has the pot of gold. His decision is going to be driven by factors that, while present for other coaching candidates, they're not going to have to box out this, this urgency to go get paid. You know, I think sometimes guys will take jobs with bad teams just because they want to get that big contract. Arthur Smith is a guy who, who won't have that on the table. And it may make him more selective, Peter, about where he goes for his first NFL head coaching job. But you, you also have to consider the fact that sometimes you're the hot guy. And then, look, I don't expect this to happen, but Tennessee goes 7-9 and nine next year. All of a sudden, Arthur Smith's not the hot guy. 
And so sometimes your window is short. Look at Josh McDaniels. You don't hear him mentioned for many of these jobs at all now. And, you know, look, we could discuss Josh McDaniels, I'm sure, for an entire segment. But the point is, sometimes you have to strike while the iron's hot. I'm not saying the iron will never be hotter for Arthur Smith, but the iron's pretty hot right now. And, you know, I think he has to survey the landscape. And in surveying the landscape, he has to decide. Only he's going to know. He and his agent are going to be able to understand you know, if, if some team is leaning toward, let's say, Robert Sala, this team is leaning toward Eric Bieniemy. He said, listen, I want to get one of these musical chairs before the music stops. I think the first guy hired is going to be Urban Meyer by the Jacksonville Jaguars. NFL media reported that he is meeting with the Jaguars today. He's been talking way too much to people about potential coaching staff additions, and also general managers that Meyer would hire if he takes the job. If the meeting with Shad Khan goes well and the money is in the range where it needs to be, and I was told earlier this week it's $12 million a year, and then there was a report saying that that's false or something like that. Well, that means he ain't getting $12 million a year. Will he take whatever he can get? Uh, we'll see, but, but I think there's a chance. If everything works out financially and just fit and feel – and he's ready to do it, he could be the first one to go. Let's continue through the speed round brought to you by but Verizon. can I ask you one Bill thing, Mike, before we move on? Mike, I want to yeah. ask you one thing before we move on. What do you think of my skepticism about Urban Meyer? Skepticism born of uh, quitting football at age, quitting coaching at age 45, 46, and 54, three different times, uh, never having a losing season at any level of college football and knowing that, you know, this is a team that's won 25% of its games over the last three years. And I would say, with, I'd say finally, what makes him different from Nick Saban in Miami where he might be two years into it or three years into it? Even though he's got his quarterback, it's been proven over the years that even a quarterback, is you're not going to start winning immediately How's he going to take losing? And is he going to get sick of it at some point sooner than Jacksonville might think? When the reports first emerged that multiple teams were doing their homework on Urban Meyer, I found a podcast involving Chris Spielman, now special advisor to Lions owner Sheila Ford Hamp. And Spielman was talking about Meyer's angst and his torment the last year at Ohio State when he fell to his knees and people were saying it's health issues. And I wrote an item and quoted extensively what Spielman had to say. And I think reading between the lines, I think Spielman understands that Urban Meyer will not be able to handle it in the NFL. He won't be able to handle the agony of defeat. He won't be able to handle the torment and, and the frustration and everything that goes along with dealing with being the coach of a team that isn't dominant. That, that, and that's why I think we haven't heard anything about Urban Meyer possibly coaching the Lions. You know, at first it was like, hey, Jaguars, Lions, Jaguars, Lions. The last week and a half, it's just Jaguars, Jaguars, Jaguars. I think Chris Spielman knows that that it's probably not good for Urban Meyer's psychological well-being to be an NFL head coach because if you get tormented as a so dominant why are the Jaguars college coach why might the Jaguars hire him? Do they not know this? No. Do they not look at his no. resume? Listen, Peter, the the thing I love the most about the National Football League beyond the actual playing of the games, the intrigue and the 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 the, 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 the palace drama. You've got owners of these franchises who know a hell of a lot less than you or I do about how it all works. And now Shad Khan's on that team for 10 years. Well, but do they care? Do they care? Do they, do they, do they, I mean, do, you know, they, they, they know best. They know best. They know what's right for their team and they know what's right for their business. And frankly, Peter, look, maybe at this point in the overall life of the Jacksonville Jaguars, it means more to have Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence than it does to actually become a team 
that wins 12 games a season or 13 games a season. You know, you've tried a bunch of other different things. Let's try this. Let's fill our stadium. Let's sell tickets. Let's become more financially viable than we've been at least for a couple of years. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We move on to the next guy. So I think there's... All right, here's my two points about that. All right, here's my two points about that. There's an old saying in coach chasing, and that is winning the press conference. You know, some owners really want to win the press conference. Okay, who cares? Really, who cares? Secondly, Peter, are there here's people who cares. writing here's letters who cares. to wait, the Florida wait, wait. Times Union? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you finish. No, are there people writing letters to the Florida Times Union? Oh, my God, give us Urban Meyer. Oh, he's going to come and be a savior. Please, please, Urban Meyer. I mean, are the fans demanding it? Well, I, I guess my point is this. They do want to win the press conference. The owners want to win the press conference because winning the press conference means selling tickets, generating excitement, generating coverage, selling jerseys, all the things that go along with making money. At the core, these are 32 for-profit businesses, and they, they don't wear that on their sleeves. You but don't sell jerseys at a head happened. coach. Uh, well, I know, but you but if, if you get a head coach that gets people excited – then that sells jerseys. You're going to sell jerseys of Trevor Lawrence. It's the combination of the two. Anyway, we got Trevor more to Lawrence get would sell jerseys if the head coach was Little Orphan Annie. You or me or me. Uh, all right. Who's the favorite to land Eric Bieniemy? We talked about the Texans not being interested. The other five openings have interest in him. Where does he go? I mean, you know, if I had to guess, this is an absolute guess. I would guess the Chargers. Because the Chargers want a guy who knows everything about uh, the, the, the quarterback and the head coach of their new arch rivals and the team they have to beat for the next decade, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Give me, uh, you know, give me the, the Chargers and Eric Bieniemy. And in my view, that's the most attractive opening because you have a quarterback there who has proven already that he's a great quarterback, and uh, and they've got a lot of great players, and I, I don't feel like they're that far away from being a truly competitive and contending team. Which team, and I think I know the answer to this based upon our prior discussion in the show about Deshaun Watson, which team is most likely to make a head-scratching hire? Houston. I don't even know what it'll be, but unless they get pressured now, heavily, heavily pressured into going after Eric Bieniemy. I think they're going to make a head-scratching hire, and I don't even know who it is. Surprise name to look out for as the pieces begin to fall into place. Well, I would say that a surprise name to look out for uh, is somebody who we really don't know yet. Somebody who has got to emerge after these rounds of the playoffs. I mean... I'm not even, I I don't even know who I would say other than I've got two on my list. One is Brian Schottenheimer, uh, because I think he's getting more and more respect around the league. And the other one, even though he's gotten some love, is Brandon Staley. I think Brandon Staley would be my little outsider's view of a guy who's got the best chance to get a head coaching job in this league. Isn't it amazing that Dennis Allen, the Saints defensive coordinator, can't get a sniff. Isn't that amazing to you? You know, the whole New Orleans thing is amazing to me. You know, Carmichael, uh, Campbell on offense, you know, Dennis Allen on defense, the two great guys in their front office, Jeff Ireland, Terry Fontenot. It's almost like, you know, Sean Payton lords above all, and also Mickey Loomis, obviously. But everybody just looks at them as the Sean Payton saints. And, you know, Mickey Loomis sort of being the stage manager of this team and setting the stage for everything good that happens. And I'll just tell you, you know, I've had some discussions over the last couple of years with people at organization who asked the same question that you just asked. How in the world... Can't like uh, Dan Campbell and Pete Carmichael even get to first base 
in the interview process. And you mentioned Dennis Allen after the job with that defense. I agree. For me, the surprise name to look out for is Marvin Lewis. Even though he's on the radar screen, I don't think anyone believes he's being taken seriously as a candidate anywhere. The guy was with the Bengals for an extended period of time. He took him to the playoffs nine times. He thrived amid the dysfunction that is inherent to that organization when it comes to being extremely careful with money. And he's a stabilizing force. The Jets interviewed him yesterday, and Jets fans were like, oh, give me a break. No, give me a break. This guy's better than anyone you've had since Rex Ryan, and he's probably better than Rex Ryan, Peter. I agree, Mike. I think I think Marvin Lewis is an underrated guy in this process. In my opinion, when I look at him, I look at him with the two words that you just mentioned, stabilizing force. He wouldn't be a popular hire, but I think he'd be a good hire. All right, that was the speed round brought to you by Verizon 5G Built Right. When we return, our wild card, excuse me, super wild card edition of the Show Me Something draft. We'll be back with more right after this. Pro Football Talk is brought to you by Verizon 5G Built Right. Sunday night, we've got Brown Steelers on NBC and Peacock. And on Peacock, after the game, a special edition of Brother from Another. That's only on Peacock immediately after the Brown Steelers game on Sunday night. It is super wild card, super duper wild card edition of Show Me Something, Peter, a draft that we've been doing Fridays all year long. Here's the trivia question to determine the first pick. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. Before Deshaun Watson this year, who was the last player to lead the NFL in passing yards with 12 or more losses? Matthew Stafford. That's a good guess. That's a very good guess. It was actually Jeff George of the Oakland Raiders in 1997. Jeff George led the league in passing yards uh, and uh, the team very was Very good. Not That's good. a good that question. Pretty much summarizes his career, and it was a year before John Gruden arrived as the head coach of the then Oakland Raiders. All right, the first pick for me, it's got to be Lamar Jackson. We talked about it earlier. He's 0-2 in the postseason, and he has not played well in playoff games, especially when you consider the dichotomy between his performances in the regular season and the postseason. It makes it even more glaring. This year down the stretch, since returning from the COVID-19 issue that he dealt with that knocked him out of the game against the Steelers that was postponed six days after Thanksgiving, he's been great. And uh, this is the time. Now is the time for him to step up and show us that in the postseason, he's the same guy that he is in the regular season, Peter. Show me something Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Uh, for all the hullabaloo around especially Chase Young, but around the Washington pass rush in general, neither of those guys were double-digit sackers this year. They combined for 16 and a half sacks. I think they need three between them on Saturday night uh, to come through and to really show that you know they have an opportunity in this game to legitimately be better than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're going to have to be better on defense, because there's absolutely no way with the offense in the shape the way it is in Washington right now that they're going to be a high-scoring team. So their defense has to win this game. And that is why I say, show me something, Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Of all the names that we could have put on a list of potential candidates for this draft on Monday, the name at the very bottom, if on the list at all, would have been Mike Prefer the Brown special teams coordinator. <laughs> He's my next choice because, look, hey, this is it, Mike. We hear all the time special teams coordinators should be considered more frequently for head coaching jobs. This is your chance to carry the flag of all special teams coordinators by being the head coach in place of, St of Kevin Stefanski for Sunday night Brown Steelers. It's happened before for Prefer on a Thursday night game for the Vikings against the Cowboys a few years back when Mike Zimmer was having his eye problems. The stakes are slightly higher here. It's only the first playoff game in a generation for the Cleveland Browns. So show me something, Mike Prefer, and do it for all of your special teams coordinating brethren. You know, I'm going to stay in that same game 
I'm going to stay with the same team. Show me something, Baker Mayfield. This is the type of game that you were drafted to win. When everybody says there's no chance, when all the odds are against you, when you're not practicing, when all you're doing is sitting at home the whole week, looking at a Zoom uh, screen and doing all of your game planning virtually. Uh, if, you're, if you're doing anything to stay in shape, it's on the treadmill in your home gym. And so I want to see when the odds are stacked against Baker Mayfield that he comes out and says, in the memory of John Dorsey, who brought me here in 2018, when we stunk, when we were 1-31 over the previous two years, I came here to turn the fortunes around of this franchise. Tonight is the night, and I don't care how many things are against us. I am coming out at Heinz Field and beating our arch rivals on the road. You're aware John Dorsey's still alive, right? I'm just making yes. sure. <laughs> of course. All right. Just checking. Just perhaps checking. I could John have Dorsey. Said, perhaps I could have said, <laughs> I think back fondly on John Dorsey. <laughs> All right. There we go. Just just making sure. I, I, I wanted to make sure this wasn't the John Dorsey Memorial Super Duper Wildcard Weekend Show Me Something draft. All right. Next one for me, <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky, Bears quarterback. Look, plenty of these other quarterbacks have legacy riding on the outcome. Mitchell Trubisky has his football future riding on the outcome. You lose this game, pretty good chance you're you're not going to get any type of a significant contract anywhere, including Chicago for 2021. You beat the Saints in the playoffs. You propel your team to the final eight. Maybe people start viewing you differently. If you have a good game against a very good Saints defense, I'm not saying you will. But this is your chance. This is your opportunity. Your ship may come in if you can get it done in New Orleans, especially at a time when most people expect that it won't happen for the Bears. So show me something, Mitchell Trubisky, and fatten your bank account in the process. I think he could show us something if he played well and lost. But we shall see. Because if he plays a competitive game, has a good individual day, and they lose 32-28, to 28, People are going to be saying, like Kyle Shanahan, like some people who at least want to bring in someone to compete for that starting job, all of a sudden, Mitchell Trubisky vaults ahead of, uh, you know, vaults ahead of, say, Cam Newton on the scrap heap quarterback division, you know, in 2022 or 2021. My final show me is going to be Phillip Rivers. Show me something, Phillip Rivers. You know, at the start of the year, Mike, if I had told you that the Indianapolis Colts would be the seventh team in the AFC playoff seeding, you would have said, eh, you know, okay, decent, that's all right. But you wouldn't have said, oh my God, what a great job by the Colts. Everybody sort of figured that they might be somewhere between, what, five and, and eight in there. So, being the seventh playoff seed is not why Chris Ballard wrote a $25 million check to Phillip Rivers. He did that and he signed Phillip Rivers to come in to be reunited with Frank Reich because he wanted him to play great in January. This could be Phillip Rivers' last ever January football game. So show me something, Phillip Rivers. Let's extend it by around, Peter, because there's many more we could get to. I'm going to go to Russell Wilson. Show me something, Russell Wilson, simply because we're getting farther and farther away from those two Super Bowl appearances. He has a sense of urgency to continue to build his legacy. So many great quarterbacks out there with one Super Bowl win, desperate to get to two. He intends to play for a long time, but each year is one fewer opportunity than he ultimately will have to get to a Super Bowl and try to win it. It begins with a game against a division rival, two potential Super Bowl caliber teams. One is going to get knocked out. And if it's if it's Russell Wilson versus John Wolford, I don't think you want that on your permanent record that you lost to John Wolford, Peter. At home. <laughs> At home. Uh, Mike, I'll end it with show me something, David Montgomery. 
And, you know, I know you talked about Trubisky, but I just don't have a lot of faith in Mitchell Trubisky to play great in the Superdome on Sunday afternoon. But I do have faith in, uh, in David Montgomery, who's had three 100-yard games since Thanksgiving, who really has been the bulk of this offense when push comes to shove and when needed uh, down the stretch of this season for the Bears. Uh, and I think David Montgomery holds the chances of the Bears in his hands in this game. You know, he's got to make sure that Mitchell Trubisky doesn't have a bunch of third and eights. He's got to get yards on first down. He's got to find a way to get five and six yards on first and second down so that they're not in bad situations on third down. It's a huge game for David Montgomery. So show me something, David. All right, that's our draft for uh, the Super Wild Card round. When we return, some final thoughts on the six games to come. Unprecedented for the NFL. Six playoff games this weekend. We're going to have some uh, fun Saturday and Sunday, and we're going to wrap up PFT Live right after this. We had a little history lesson during the break. Not six games. Well, well, let me try that again. Six games isn't unprecedented in a weekend for an NFL postseason. Eight games was done in 1982, but it was in four TV windows. You get six TV windows. That is unprecedented for the NFL, and there it all is. It is going to be fantastic, Peter. And uh, look, we, we picked all the games yesterday, Sims and I, and I ultimately picked all the favorites. I Yeah, I'd like to pick an upset here or there. If there's an upset to happen, which one do you think is the most likely team to pull off the uh, the unlikely victory? Well, I would pick Tampa Bay over Washington, but Washington winning wow. that game won't shock me. Yeah, yeah, wow. The reason it won't wow. shock me is that I think that the defensive front with Sweat, uh, it, Ryan Kerrigan also, don't forget him. Uh, he's a guy who uh, Washington is very happy they didn't trade at the deadline even though Seattle was interested. Uh, and, and so that's the game that fascinates me the most, and obviously Chase Young. But I agree with he you. He is that I'm pressure up the middle. This weekend. Can they get it up the middle against Tom Brady? Enjoy the weekend. We'll see you Monday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.